Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Screen Talk and Wire's weekly podcast, coming to you from the Cannes Film Festival backstage at the American Pavilion, where I'm Eric Cohn, the executive editor-in-chief critic, sitting with Ann Thompson, our editor-at-large, in between a gazillion different things, a couple of days into this festival, though it feels like years. What do you think, Ann? Has it been a good year so far? It's a good year so far, I have to say. Um, I liked Rocket Man, which is a commercial movie that'll play well for the public. And it was better than I was expecting. Which kind of helped it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I didn't go in with high expectations. Um, Taron Egerton is terrific as Elton John. And um, Richard Madden makes a very sexy, bad uh, villain manager um, who's actually the same guy that was playing. He's playing the same manager that was the bad guy in Bohemian Rhapsody. John Reed. Right, anyway. so at least we get to understand him a little bit more in that respect. And they get to have a, a real relationship. Yeah, no, they it's R-rated for sure. They did not, you know, you can see that Elton John and, and Bernie Taupin were very, who were there. And I got to go to the opening night and the big applause. And there was applause during the screening um, for your song. Which to me is the high point of the movie, which it's unfortunately the best part. is early in the movie. The thing about, about the your song, so you know, I was a little lukewarm to say the least about this film as a whole. But, but you're not an Elton John fan, right? I'm not really. I mean, one of the things that I've always found uh, notable about he's a, he's a brilliant songwriter who seems to consolidate various Bernie kinds Taupin of. Is the brilliant well, but but if you the music the, in terms of finding the melody to those tunes, I think it's it really them. yeah. I mean, but the thing is, I, I've I've never. Really Really responded to, to the kind the way that he uses the various genres that he works in. I've always responded to somebody else who's doing that more, whether it's blues or rock. In every era he's been in, he sort of brought that into his music based on what other people were doing. And I think on some level, it's made it harder for me to have a deep relationship with his work in particular relative to a broader scope of things. And and also, I didn't have a deep relationship to his story and I don't know if this movie really sold me on the emotion of his story having said that the Your Song sequence is really distills both the musicianmanship and kind of his, his emotional investment in it and that's why it's so great where it's these- with a lot of these biopics what happens is that you have this situation where it, it's so true every time where the the Go, the coming of age part of it, the coming into your voice part of it, is the most extraordinary thing, and that's what that song is. He finds his yeah. voice, and then the downfall, the <laughs> the drugs and the sex and yeah. the lifestyle and the problems with your identity, all of that is so familiar. But that said, this movie works really well as a musical. And well, that's what's fun about. I it. mean, the thing is, so it's it's a jukebox jukebox musical, right? Twenty no, songs. That's not fair. But it, but most of the songs are in the songs to tell the story. They're not just performing the songs. They're it's very innovative in the way that it collapses all the time. That actually bugged me, to be honest with you. Paul does does with it. Who wrote, of course, Billy Elliot, the 
movie and the musical, I thought was very clever. Well, it's a little literal-minded in parts because you have lyrics that could be interpreted many different ways, and That's they're being true. sung by you know his father or whatever. And now you know the, the nuance is dead. Wrote those lyrics, so that's the other interesting right, thing. Right, so it doesn't quite make and sense. No, it's fascinating, actually. I liked all of that. I thought that worked really well. Although they do kind of set Bernie Taupin up more as sort of a supporting player. You don't really get into his, you know, just how much he was this pivotal, you know, creative force so much as he was sort of his buddy. So yeah, I think that's going to be some talked about. Interesting levels there too, because he's he represents the, um, if you like, the heterosexual leading man in the movie. Uh, which is very gay, and and I think that he's an interesting character in that way. People were wondering, you know, is this movie going to really go all the way and show the the gay the gay aspects of Elton John's? I mean, he's a gay man, and so you know, with with Bohemian Rhapsody, the movie seemed to almost get cold feet about what it could or could not show. Which Dexter Fletcher was not supportive of. He I'm, wanted to make that movie, came in at the end, fixed it or finished it, if you like, and then uh, was able. He was already in, on board this one but he this he had an R-rated vision for the other but it's it's worth pointing out I mean it's not like the sex scenes in this movie are super graphic or something no 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 they pull back on them from and, what I understand so the expectations there are rating gay sex I mean that's not really what's I mean if anything it seems like the R-rating might be there more for the drug use you know yeah, cocaine yeah. and all that kind of stuff there wasn't so. a lot of hideous thrusting or anything right but I did appreciate that you know even though he does have to come out to his mother and all that kind of stuff um, it doesn't overplay that he's gay you know I mean he's basically we've all gotten used to this at this point um, what it what it means is what it in the story is how difficult it was for him at the time so let, a great scene in the movie where, where he says oh I have a girlfriend and and the, the, this guy looks at him and says you're homosexual and, he, and, he, and he's you know he's like I don't know <laughs> maybe and that's news to Bernie Taupin right right no, it's, it's an interesting way of looking at that. So the other kind of higher profile movie to screen as we're recording was the opening night film, Jim Jarmusch's, uh, now I've already forgotten the name because I've seen 50 dead, movies. The dead, I was thinking only dead people left alive or something. Only I merged, yeah, alive. I was like merging Jarmusch yeah, genre films. Don't die. But um, so, so the reaction to this one was, it was, was fairly muted and a lot of people seemed to think that it was... You know, maybe a good choice for opening night because of the stars, but not necessarily a great competition film. I had a lot of fun with it. I would agree that maybe it doesn't need the burden of competition, but it's a Jarmish movie through and through they and totally uncompromised. Because it's Jim Jarmish, they couldn't do anything else. And I think everybody knows when you put something like that on opening night, it's serving a certain function. I think Jarmish himself knows that. Yeah. Um, it is a funny movie, though. I have to say, I was laughing louder than anyone else around me. So if you like Jim Jarmusch and you're not expecting something super serious, although it does have certain ecological issues on its mind, um, it, apparently this new uh, Roland Emmerich movie that's selling Moonfall in the market that just sold to a bunch of territories for a lot of money is also about the Earth tipping on its axis. It's about the moon losing its orbit. Well, it's a similar thing. everything is falling apart. I mean, the, all the movies we've seen in competition so far have basically been about 
problems in the world. As we're recording right now, I've seen everything that's screened and, you know, from... You mean in uh, competition? In competition. The, the films that, There's you know... There's a lot Regard. Sure. And a lot is... I haven't seen all of those, but in terms of the competition films, whether it's, you know, a really gorgeous uh, kind of expressionistic film like Atlantics, which is about the migration crisis, or something like Baccarat, which is sort of a political satire about the situation in Brazil, it really feels like this year's section is so much about, you know, just people who are, are telling us that the world is in a bad place. And I couldn't agree more. It's very clear that that's, that's a thematic thing throughout, especially with the Ken Loach movie, which um, follows up Daniel Blake, goes back uh, to, you know, working class uh, problems in England. But this one really nails it and uh, is all about the corporations running the world and how the poor working stiff is getting screwed. And it's a portrait of a family struggling, struggling to stay together and not very uh, well. I, when I walked into our apartment after I saw this movie, I said, get ready to cry. I cried. <laughs> right no, on schedule. I'm an easy cry. But I, I think, you know, I have a lot of respect for Ken Loach movies. I, I wasn't blown away by this because it's, you know, you come to Cannes and there are so many kinds of films that take big swings and are trying things he's never seen before. And Loach is very sort of, he follows a straight line as a storyteller. The crisis arrives right on schedule. The performances are very well done and you know that it's going to be about society in very particular sort of way. He doesn't surprise you from from a filmmaking standpoint. From that point of view, though, you could look at it slightly differently. There are a lot of filmmakers who do what they do and do it well, and they're not thinking about what critics are going to write about, or whether there's some new discovery, or whether there's some new way of tell, telling the story that's going to blow somebody's mind. Well, this guy is political. This guy is on a mission to show us what's wrong, and he figured out a way with his writer, Paul Laverty, to really nail it on the head. Yeah, I mean, he's been on that mission for 50-plus years, you right, know. But this one's about right now. Yeah, it's about the gig economy. This, one, this I mean, one is really about about how the kids are on the phones and, and the corporations don't give a shit about whether right. people can make a living right. wage. It's about no, I, that. I appreciated it. I mean, it, I thought it was it was very solid. I think Thierry Fermo said in the opening press conference, it's very Loachian. Like, this is Loach in a nutshell. If you've never seen a Ken Loach film before, you will kind of know what his M.O. is by seeing this one. You know, not that he goes outside of no, that. My argument but. is that maybe he's figured out that, that, that maybe this is the best one he's told like this. Maybe this is the one that actually catches onto the zeitgeist in a different way. Well, it's, I mean, it kind of depends on what stories you're most responsive to also. I mean, I, Daniel Blake, was about a somewhat different, you know, character at a different stage of life, too. This is about a guy who's trying to get his it's family about, together. It's about the same thing. It's about how the, the, the folks that run the world don't care about us uh, at all and and uh, and, and really uh, would, would just as soon we went down and, and in flames. They, they could care less. You know, in the press conference today, I loved this moment where, the, where they were talking about the, the one percent and, and the gap in, in wages and inequality and everything and and you know at the moment um that the, the moment that the that the oh my god that the people in america are are going um more people are dying the death rate is higher than it's ever been at the same time that jeff bezos is the richest man in the world 
Right. Yeah. And the wealth disparity is something worth looking at. It's it's you won't get that kind of perspective from other filmmakers in competition who are, as I said, taking bigger cinematic swings or whatever. But I'm so curious about how the competition is going to play out in that respect. Well, we think um, you and I seem to agree that Les Misérables is the one that's probably yes. the, got all the right stuff at this point. I see in that film a major discovery in this guy Ladgley. Well, he was sort of set up to be a discovery. Too. I mean, he's very well liked here at Cannes and in France, it seems, because he's this up-and-comer who's made a bunch of shorts and, and um, I believe already has signed with the U.S. agency, CAA. CAA. And, and the film is, you know, it's in, it's in tune with Les Miserables in a contemporary context, but it's basically, you know, it's got the, the do-the-right-thing going of the cops versus these persecuted lower-class people, in this case a Muslim community, and it builds... The thing about the movie it is that it builds. It also that time frame that Do the Right Thing has, where you feel it unfolding in real time. Yeah. In a very short, compressed period. And it's immediate because it, it opens with footage of France winning the World Cup, the celebrations around that from just when last people summer. people are united. Right. And yeah. everybody's together in, 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 in joy about one goal. Again, this is a portrait of a society that's fractured, where the, the people at the bottom of, of, of society are not being taken care of, and all of the real tensions that are uh, at, at work against each other. These three cops are trying to keep uh, a neighborhood from blowing up and having, it's inspired by the riots of, of 2005. It is so well made. It is so ratcheted. The tension is huge. That's why it's like do the right thing also. That the, the potential for violence to explode is right there. Now I will say I don't think it's quite as good as do the right thing. So let's, the He's thing about that, Lee's yeah that's the thing. Film. We gotta be careful he with those Even do the right thing was, was several films in. That, that is true. I, I think, although on some level I did find some aspects of the movie a little heavy-handed, that it is an important uh, movie to consider as a palm contender because of the level of craft on display and with a filmmaker-heavy jury. You know, we were talking about this before. Something like Ken Loach, he won for I, Daniel Blake. He's not going to win again. But that was a, a very actor-heavy jury, and this is a filmmaker-heavy jury, and they're going to probably center on something like that. But we don't know because there's so much more. As we're recording now, we haven't even seen the Pedro Almodovar film, for example. We're going to see that tonight, which is exciting. And then Tarantino is still days away. I mean, that's almost like a distant kind of possibility, but I haven't talked to a single person who knows anything about the quality of this film. Usually you start to hear from people. He hasn't finished it. That's the whole point. He's, it's, this is the classic case of the dripping wet print. No one's seen it and no one's talking about it. So the, the real open question here with something like that is, you know, when we see it, does it benefit from being a competition film, or could it have had a Rocket Man type of slot? I mean, they're premiering it on the it's anniversary the same thing of Pulp as Fiction. The Jarmish. You can't do that. You cannot do that. They don't need to do that. They wouldn't bring it here if they weren't confident. They wouldn't have even brought Rocket Man out of competition if they weren't confident. I mean, you, you sound as if bad movies have never played at the Cannes Film Festival before. I don't think Quentin Tarantino and uh, Tom Rothman at Sony Pictures are going to, you know, Sony Entertainment are going to make a, 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 a take a chance on a big commercial movie like this coming to Cannes if it's not going to get a bump from it. And of course, it's opening just in like two months or so, so it gets that sort of marketing push as well as, as Rocket Man well, does. So. I would say that their calculation. I think we talked about this. Before, is that this audience is the prime audience for this movie. That's what they're thinking. So, 
as much as these are the films that draw us in, we also really have to make this effort to see a wider spectrum of films because otherwise, you know, we may as well be watching these things in a screening room back home. And I feel like what, what's really rewarding for me about Cannes is that even in as you see these big movies, and apologies, it's very windy here in case some of this noise is coming through, but... Uh, there's there's so much that's unexpected about on certain regard or director's fortnight have you seen anything on that level that has surprised you or is worth writing home about well i've um i've seen one thing early that i can't talk about yet and the other thing by the time this uh airs i think it'll be all right is the luca guadagnino uh short called staggering girl which left me staggeringly bored. It's basically one of those commercials. That, that writes itself. Um, it's, a, it's, it's, it's all, you know, Christian Dior or Valentino and, or, or, you know, it's, 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 this, it's a, an opportunity to put Julianne Moore in a movie and have her wander around in oh, exquisite couture. I was looking at her character. I was just watching it like it was a normal movie. And she comes out in, in the daytime in New York wearing this incredibly expensive outfit. And I was like, why is she wearing that? That is That does not apply to this movie. Let's just put it that way. It seems like an odd choice to give it its own separate slot, a 30-minute slot. Uh, I wanted to say that I, I, you and I did some interviews uh, around The Dead Don't Die. I got to talk to Tilda Swinton, who's hilarious, always, and who's been to Cannes many, many times. Um, and uh, you got to talk to Bill Murray. Yeah, it was it was kind of amazing because they didn't know if he was going to show up until the last minute. Every email I got about the timing to show up was sort of prefaced with, Bill's a real wild card. And it turns out the reason for that, which some people may know about him, is you know he doesn't have a rep or anything. You just kind of like shoot him a text and then maybe he'll get back to you in a couple of days. And he was there and he was totally game and what I really liked about talking to him is first of all he is very funny in this movie he's always really good you look at Bill Murray even in a bad movie let's just be honest yeah but I mean especially him in this there's something about his his timing is that he does deadpan in a way that it cannot be reduced to a punchline it's also like him yeah, he's always very likable, and, and obviously he has a face from the movies. But um, but I really enjoyed talking to him, too, because he, his philosophy of how he does things and, and how he doesn't do things, he doesn't work a lot, is, is really singular. You know, he doesn't feel like he needs to be working all the time, but he chooses interesting projects. He's about to go back to New York and shoot another Sofia Coppola movie, so, you know, that's promising. Um, and so, so we'll see. I mean, he doesn't necessarily need to be can acclaimed, but it was nice of him to show up and support that film. One of the things that Tilda, I asked Tilda about was this thing where um, she has to always be prepared for the woman question. Um, and and at, the, at the press conference, uh, they asked her uh, about the issue of, of, of parity for women. And she, and she said, there's women all around us. We just have to look for them. We have to pay attention to them. We have to give them the recognition that they're due. So and they speak- just get overlooked all the time. It's true. I mean, it, it's not like there is a real shortage. Anybody who says that, you know, the can has tried to fall back on that before and say, well, we pick the best movies based on what we have at our disposal. They can't really do that. I don't so, think so. And I think they have this very, it's, it's just so, it's just, you can just look at it. You can see how many more women are in a certain regard every year. They're in certain, certain, there's such a small number in the competition. And, and, and you were, you know, you and I were talking about the competition. I think, I think Atlantique is a great example of, of a movie that deserves to be in competition, but the perception may be 
that that's the reward. Yeah, and so there's four women-directed films in vying for the palm, and I think it'll be interesting to see what happens here because only Jane Campion has, is the only woman who's won the palm, and this comes up every year. Obviously, it's not like... Well, we've the, only seen one so far. We've only seen one, um, and there... I really don't think is probably strong enough. I think, yeah, Atlantic may not be the one that, that takes it, though it could win something, a... a something award a grand jury or you never know I actually found it very confusing you know well i'd explain it to you but i don't want to spoil it establish the rules of of in a weird way it's a zombie movie it is it is on a certain level but it's also a film about um migration that deals less with the journey which a lot of other films like fire at sea have looked at up close you know traveling across the ocean or winding up in europe and more about who's left behind but it's also about the people who are being exploited by the corporations it's about this incredibly rich guy who isn't paying uh, who lives in a high rise in ultimate luxury who isn't paying his workers who are are four months overdue for their wages and are forced to take off in a boat Yet more problems in the world throughout the competition. Well, we have more stuff to see, but uh, we welcome people who are in Cannes to come to the American Pavilion because we're going to do our annual live show at uh, 2.15 p.m. next Wednesday. So if you're around, come see us, heckle us, ask some hard questions. Hopefully by then... We'll have more to argue about, Eric. So much to argue about. So looking forward to it. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.